Hello there, everyone. Uh, this is Elliot Terrell with Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Um, I got to sit down with Rob Zabrecki today, and it was uh, awesome. It's kind of a shorter, shorter episode, which is fine, um, and we will definitely be doing it again in the future. Rob, if you don't know, is one of my favorite performers. He's one of the best magic acts I've ever seen, and some of the people that I admire consider him one of their favorite magicians um, alive and performing today. If you have any chance to see him, I highly suggest that you do it. He performs at conventions and gatherings, and he does shows, and he's so incredible. His magic is hilarious. He's... Um, very thoughtful about his timing and about his um, trick selection, and his character is so. Uh, I, I I don't know how to describe it. It's 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 one of the best shows I've ever seen, and I was very happy to sit down and talk to him about character and presentation and uh, what his life was like before doing magic. He was uh, the front man for um, a punk band called Possum Dixon. And there's really some incredible, fun, intelligent uh, conversation. Rob is a real great guy and such a nice guy to sit down and talk to. Very knowledgeable and really, again, one of the best performers I've ever seen. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Uh, find us a sense of mystery at a sense of mystery. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, Art of Magic. Um, anyway, get into the episode, enjoy it, email me at podcast at artofmagic.com to let me know what you think and maybe who some of uh, our guests should be going down the road. Anyway, have fun. See you later. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's just not. So, I should just put them on YouTube is the answer. But, and I talked to like, uh, you know, Max Maitman, Eugene Berger, Milt Larson, all those guys. Um, a few which have passed. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you know Carl Ballantyne, the great comedy magician. Oh wow. Yeah, I talked to him. Just just a few months before he passed. Unfortunately, he he wasn't very lucid. I'm like, so Carl, when when was the first time you visited the Magic Castle? He says, oh, 1943. Well, the club opened in '63, <laughs> so he wasn't there in '93. Yeah. Eighty-five, I think, was the number. I, the last number I counted. Yeah. Wow. And then, I just, and then, you know, and then I just got fed up with it. The, the part of the point was I wanted to, like, like what you said, kind of absorb a snapshot into these these people that I kind of knew and wanted to get to know a little bit. And the other half was just to, I wanted to get comfortable being on camera. Mm -hmm. You know, I was doing a little more acting, and I thought there's no other way to get that experience than just to have a camera in front of you and learn how to treat it as if it's just another person yeah absolutely. you know or yeah, the same goes with a microphone i mean like you're when you're doing interviews sometimes you know people clam up and they get weird and they don't you know they they get self-conscious or whatever they've got little ticks you'll hear and they're like hyper aware of themselves too much yeah sure yeah so i knew that that was going to be a way one way to help sort of your own? Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. There you go. Thank you very much. I realized that was the whole process. <laughs> You're welcome. Wow. It's my pleasure. I like doing it. It's a little bit of a performance. It's like it is, right? Yeah. I get to put on a show. For yeah, I know. Kidding. Is that so? What is this called? What 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 method is this that you just made? So this is a, a pour over. Yeah. And these are um, Ethiopian beans that Dave roasted himself. And so, yeah. Damn. I hope it's good. <laughs> well, it's going to be great. Well, cool. So, I don't know. I, I like I ran over here and hit record because I was so fascinated. By oh, God. Work. Well, then, I think I said everything. <laughs> what else? What's left? Oh, there's a ton of stuff. Come on. There is? I, well, so Dana DeVergini and they... Oh, yeah. They saw your interview with Weber. 
and loved it. And so I was like, well, what are some of the things you want me to mm, talk to Rob about? And that was definitely one of them is like, um, Dave specifically said your inner weirdness and then, um, how your musical background being the front man for Possum Dixon influenced your character creation and the way that you perform and things like that. So we, I mean, we have plenty that's a of time. Lot. Yeah, sure. yeah, that's wow. a ton. You know, yeah. you can go anywhere you want with that. Great. Or I can sort of hone in. And, no, those are all, those are all topics that I'm, I'm, uh, I love talking about because I discover things about, you know, myself when I'm talking about it. I don't always think about this stuff until, uh, you're you know, saying it. Yeah, you're saying it's until it's sort of verbalized. Like, Weber was, that was a sort of a dream come true. Like, so many of us admire Weber for so many reasons. And when Max, you know, the reason that Weber did that interview is because Max was, was sick. He got appendicitis. Mm-hmm. So he had to drop out of it. It was he was going to perform his one-person show, Thinking in Person. And his appendix exploded. So wow. he's off to the hospital, and suddenly there's this, two-hour spot in the middle of, you know, set prime time, convention time. Sure. And um, I don't know whose idea it was, Richard, or, or maybe, I think Weber said, hey, I'd like to do an interview. Let's do that instead. And um, so I was just beside myself, you know, because I just think he's one of the greatest minds of magic. So oh, yeah. anyway, he... I said, well, here's some, uh, here's a few things that we might want to talk about. Thinking, <laughs> thinking that I would somehow guide the Brent genius of Weber. And he looks him over and he puts him in his pocket. And the things that we talked about were so different and so revealing. I just couldn't believe it. You know, talking about, we were talking about like the rhythm of the, the people that people perform in. Yeah. And I just never thought about that. I I might have considered it. I think it's one of those things that you consciously, subconsciously think about when you're when you're working on an act and you're you're delivering your script. But he really, I performed a piece and he he went back and said, okay, let's 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 look at this again. And he talked about where it's the, the metronome was sort of like dropping here, and then when it got intense, that would pick up a little bit mm-hmm. and then drop back down. Mm-hmm. And you're like. Who thinks about that? Yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, that's the true art. That's the artistic level. And it can even be broken down into, you know, just to use a symphony, for example. You have a middle school band. They're keeping the same tempo. But when all of that is working in harmony, the conductor can pick up and slow down, and crescendo and decrescendo. And that's... Uh, so I saw you for the first time last weekend, two weekends ago, in San Diego. And... Yeah, it was like it was the best show I'd ever seen. Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, it's yeah. And Dave, if he were sitting here, he would say that you are his favorite magician, favorite act. Like, <laughs> that's really nice to hear. And and uh, come from Dave, who, you know, I, I admired those guys and always did from from day one. You mm-hmm. know, I re- in fact I remember there was this chatter about these two kids from San Diego, and they were doing things with cards that nobody was doing, and. Uh, I kind of craned my head into this conversation that I think it was Mike Caveney and Jim Steinmeier and a couple of these guys, you know, my real heroes in magic. Sure. And he said, these guys are going to come down and do a set for us in the pillar. And I was like, oh, I'm not missing this. <laughs> so I stayed close and hovered in the back and watched Mike and uh, I can't remember. There's a, maybe it was John Carney and a couple others. And they're kind of looking at him like they have two heads because they, <laughs> they came from this, you know, Mike and, and John and... Jim, these guys come from these solid backgrounds of the act. Yeah. Everything's the act. Yes. You know? <clears throat> and suddenly, and they were not saying a word and performing these impossible acrobatics with, with playing cards. And so it was really an interesting moment. Like, this is a little bit of history. And in my own, you know, from my, from my own perspective, but actually watching these... The, the, the young and the old guys sort of not the cave an old guy but older guys. well but it's like the physical representation of the myth yeah and it was all it was really it was right there that's really cool wow that's so cool <laughs> um yeah i so oh gosh that was that must have been years ago it was it was i mean i wonder if they would remember that i, I if you're listening dan and dave 
If you remember, let me know. Let it me know. Be. I'll ask. If okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, that's that's really cool. And maybe we can. I, I'll ask him, and I'll try and remember, figure it out. We can add that in somewhere. Yeah, that's cool. cool um, so, oh gosh. Okay. We have a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> okay, so let's. I start off at the beginning if you're comfortable. And by the beginning, oh, yeah. I mean like you know, being in Possum Dixon, being the front man for a band. Um, and all that that sort of rock and roll life entails, and then how that shaped who you are as a creative person, and then we'll get into the magic stuff. But I'm just interested in who you are as like how you look at the world. Okay. <laughs> so feel free to tackle that. <laughs> well, I mean, I could say that, like so many kids. Growing up in in the San Fernando Valley in the in the seventies, the the dream was to be in a rock band. That's what I, that was my world. It was you know mm-hmm. Cheap Trick and Kiss and sort of big rock, you know, big, big arena rock bands were mm-hmm. like that was my first passion. You know, I think from some kids fell into magic or or classical music or whatever or I, I don't the, the other arts. For me, it was it was music. It was like it started off on the AM radio hearing music in my mom's car and just going wow it's completely blowing my mind mm-hmm. you know such an aversion to you know just whatever being a little kid not that growing up in Burbank was a, was a relatively easy place to grow up and a nice place to grow up but that was the first portal into another world it was like the cartoons or something mm-hmm. you know like Saturday morning cartoons so fell in love with it and just thought well, if I could that was the dream I'd just lay, lay, lay in bed and I'd go wow one day I'd like to play music and I think by high school I uh, assembled a garage band with some friends, you know, mm-hmm. in my buddy's garage after school and banging out, you know, music that was easy to play and fun. And uh, I really had my sights on music. So from from high school until turning, you know, drinking age 21, that's when I formed the band with some friends from junior college. Mm-hmm. And... It was full steam. Like let's 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 make our dreams sort of come true, as cheesy as that sounds. And our, really, our expectations were very low because at that point we were interested in the, the the idea of like the the punk ethos that was in Hollywood and in the music community that was not happening on Sunset Strip with the big hairspray bands, but more of a DIY do-it-yourself culture yeah. that was kicking around in a dozen or so clubs and and, and really worldwide, but. I was focused in on it here in LA. So our goal was to play a place um, at Third and Hewitt downtown called Al's Bar. Mm-hmm. It's the crown jewel of the underground. If you could play there, like holy shit, you you had made it. Yeah, you know that was that was really it for us. And before long, um, we booked a show opening for um, Courtney Love's band Hole, who was totally unknown at that time, and I'd known from the LA underground and. Mm-hmm. Another band I was an, at, um, an ardent follower of called the Imperial Butt Wizards. <laughs> Great, one of the greatest bands ever. They got banned from every club because they would start fires. They would set fire to to um, stuffed animals and dress in, in costumes, and they were just like completely over the top and punk in a way that they were just bombastic. And they had a, such a they had a, such a point of view that was only their thing. Yeah. It was very singular and cool, and you never knew it was unpredict- wildly unpredictable. So we just love that model of doing our thing and finding our own sort of way to do that. And that was the rule of having the band was just there were no rules. We're making music that we wanted to hear sure. for our friends, and it started off like super theatrical. I, I mean, I, I, our first show, I had like a I had this Ken doll that I was going to deliver this monologue to, and then destroy the Ken doll, and I had a, a BB gun that I shot the Ken doll and. There was a tambourine player, and there was, it was really insane. I mean, it was like the, the beginning, the first handful of shows were just a total mess. Mm-hmm. They were scattered, and we were interested in, in early John Waters films. I don't know if you know the early work of John Waters, but they were really kind of punk in a way that they were thinking for themselves, and they were making these bizarre movies just for them and their friends, and it was super interesting to us. So we were kind of using these models of like that, and left the Warhol 60s, and that kind of what was going on in New York with the way that Warhol was looking at the world and that with punk, the idea of like the, the Lower East Side, CBGB, you know, the Ramones and mm-hmm. 
Blondie and groups like that that were just those bands were all very different from one another, but they all had a kind of this idea about playing their own kind of rock. So we that was that was you know for us that was the idea, and um, it started off that way anyway. And then as time went on, we became more formulaic, just like so many bands did. And by the time we signed a record deal with Interscope Records, um, had definitely become a by by all standards a, a pop group, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, while grunge was happening, which is our own sort of thing, we were kind of had like a, I guess our aesthetic was like a disheveled college student, you know, had been up on drugs for a few days, but hadn't really gone to college. Mm-hmm. It was like the thing. Uh, geek, geek rock, I guess they were calling it early on. And then later bands like Weezer and a myriad of other groups sort of appropriated that. Sure. They re- refined that, mm-hmm. that look. But early on, we were kind of... The f- I guess we were the kind of one of the only bands that had that that aesthetic. I mean, we were so we were we stood out in that way because we were like these. Our friend said it, wrote about us, and she said um, Possum Dixon's like my three sons if Lou Reed directed it, <laughs> and that really did kind of describe our our whole thing. It was like we looked clean cut, but we were we were not clean cut. So anyway, that we, we uh, were, you know, we worked super hard though, and, and really embraced like you know making our own flyers and defining kind of this almost sci-fi '50s sort of look with some yeah. of our graphics. And I was part at the helm of screening T-shirts and silk screening mm-hmm. stickers, and yeah. you know, always just making stuff. There, yeah, there's so much creativity happening in this. Yeah, I mean, I atmosphere. I I, um, I made a, a book called Music for Deaf People. It was my first little. Um, chapbook of poetry in like 1992 and it contained lyrics to Possum Nixon songs and just any ideas like I was working in a crummy mail room and, and so it just like write down my list of duties as my job duties and what, what I hated about them and you know it was like stuck them all cut and pasted into a Xerox book and would sell those at shows and stuff and it was great you know it was, it was just so fun and, and um, for a long time we, we, were, we really enjoyed that success and by the time we were making records that changed a little bit because there were producers and suddenly there was people that wanted to sell the band as a you know a product mm-hmm. and that's always a problem sure that makes sense um so is i have to ask would are you naturally this question has two parts are you naturally a performer like, is it something that was always present in your life and that made you kind of drew you to music, maybe? Um, because, like, you have a very soothing, calming, quiet presence. And, like, I don't know if you would consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert, but, or maybe, you know, a beautiful combination of the two things. But I'm just curious, like, seeing your show, seeing you perform. It's so authentic and, and like, awesome to watch and to behold and wonder about. Is that something that, you know, you cultivated that was in you already? Or is that something that you kind of manufactured as a well, decided performer? It, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say it was a conscious decision one day that that was going to be it. You know, I, sure. what I can say is I, when I was a little kid, I, I was the shyest introverted kid that there ever was Mm -hmm. and I kind of had this I had this weird thing my hands were plagued with warts when I was a little kid and my hands were all stuffed in my pockets and Mm -hmm. I was like all my report cards say this kid is shy and needs to come out of a shell and you know he sucks at sports (laughs) still true Um, and stuff like that so I was like I really was an introverted shy kid and, and couldn't wait to just get home and escape to the music in the 45s and you know, drawing pictures and sort of being creative. I never for a second thought I would be a performer of any type. Mm-hmm. And then I got rid of the warts and became a popular seventh grader in the early mm-hmm. 80s. And that changed everything. Because <laughs> suddenly people wanted to be friends with me and girls wanted to hold my hand. And I was discovering music on a different level and starting to see live bands. And like mm-hmm. it was everything kind of opened up. And then, you know, by 16, just had the burning desire to like, I want to, I have to explore this. I don't know if I'm going to be good at it. And I wasn't, I can tell you, I wasn't, there's n- in no way what I say I was ever naturally inclined for any of okay. any, one performance in any way, especially mm-hmm. magic, which I'll get to. But my God, I wasn't, as John Lovick likes to say, I was certainly not a fish to water in the realm of magic. 
Um, I had to work really hard for it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I just had the, there was something inside of me, like so many performers, like I call it the mom, look at me thing, you mm-hmm. know, over here, <laughs> whatever it is. I have whether, to be seen. Yeah, yeah I've yeah, got yeah. I have to be seen. Mm-hmm. I've got to, you know, this, this picture has to be looked at, this, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever you're, whatever you're doing, it has to be sort of like, I have to present this to the, the world needs to see this in some way. And I guess that, that was inside of me. And, and through playing music, I got to do that. But even, even when we were playing music, I was never good at, I was talking between songs unless I was, you know, loaded on, on drugs or, or had been drinking. Would I want to like talk, you know, I just want to kind of do the songs and get through them. And so by the time I got into magic, it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Because I knew I wanted to reinvent myself as a magician at, at this one point, but I could barely, I couldn't, I could speak. I, you know, I was, I was one on one. I was, I, I could communicate with other people, okay, and I, sure. and I could learn how to handle props as good as anybody who works really hard at that, you know, um, mm-hmm. can and should. But I really had to learn how to speak and not freak out and not get covered in sweat and my my I used to do this thing where my ass used to shake back and forth like my head would be still but all the nerves would go right in my hips and my butt would just go just swing like a pendulum and my wife noticed it early on I was like doing these sets in the, in the museum at the magic castle and I was mm-hmm. doing card tricks I was like I just wanted to do magic I didn't I didn't know if it was good magic or bad magic card magic mentalism I just I didn't I loved it all yeah delights just give me give me a trick sure you know <laughs> And let me just, I'll, I'll figure out something. I'll figure out, I'll write a little script and I'll work on it real hard, you know. And so I was doing that and that's where all the nerves went. They just went like right there. And it was like one, th- you know, it was this process of elimination. Like, okay, what sucks the worst that I need to chop out? Okay, now we'll cut out this. Now we'll cut out. Th- and it's very slowly with a, with a very large, talented cast of friends and people in magic, mm-hmm. I found away you know and those people were great for technical advice and material choices and scripting ideas and things like that but mm-hmm. the performance you know like the, the the idea of being a performer and communicating with the world that's stuff that came from you know how I saw the world and how I wanted I didn't I, I, when I realized that I was going to get into magic and this was how, you know, I, I really wanted to be a magician. I knew that it was a, magic was um, a vehicle to communicate like music was or like yeah. doing prints or photography or whatever. It was totally an art form. So I was like, well, great. This is, this is another, this is just another, going to be another outlet. And um, I get to in some way tell stories through presenting tricks. And that's, yeah. you know, it's just been a, it's been a great um it's been one of the greatest aspects of my life ever since I became involved with it. Do you think you're able to better communicate um, what you are feeling through your character and through your performance in Magic than you were with bandmates and you know a group and then producers and things on top of it after that? The short answer is yes, because when you're in a band, you're 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 up there with, you know, however many other musicians, and you're you're sharing an idea, and people focus on the drummer or the I was the singer and bass player, so there was a lot mm-hmm. of focus on there. But generally, it's you're sharing idea. You're 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 not one. You're not one entity. You're several. Sure. At least you know. Let's just say three or more. Mm-hmm. And in magic, you know, you write, you produce, you direct, you act. And my main collaborators from day one has been my wife Tommy, and a lot of the ideas are ours and hers and mine and combinations of things and things that you know when I'm running around in my underwear at midnight she's like that's great that should somehow be in the act it seemed like the worst idea at the time and <laughs> then like we chuckle and go oh, really okay let's, let's throw it up and see what you know see what happens and so anyway the, the point is um, I think I feel like I feel there's more creative latitude mm-hmm. for me in magic I think if I was if I was a 
a singer songwriter from day one that just it was just my music and I was just performing with maybe one instrument or just a there's piano. a lot more like rules and restrictions in, in there music. are yeah absolutely but in magic again you write produce you direct you act and it's it's you from from beginning to end yeah. which is why there's not a lot of great magicians you know because it's yeah. it's really hard yeah. you take each one of those aspects and break that down my god you but you better want to really do it yeah or else you're going to be mediocre or maybe you've got a knack for it and you can present a few tricks and that's all fine and good i'm not certainly not knocking them but sure. i think that the, the magicians i truly admire like the big names that people know like the ricky jays penn and tellers yeah. everything is taken into account everything Every detail. is taken yes and you see that and you you walk away and you from a performance and you, it's it's just it's no different than seeing a, a play or a mm-hmm. movie or going to a rock show you, you get you know there's peaks and valleys and there's all these things that you know well I think just you know with the examples that you gave and you yourself those people that are truly artists in the realm of magic are also interesting people that have a point of view and that have other interests outside of magic Penn with his Um, his own band and his ardent political stances and then Ricky Jay and his plethora of exploits and then you with your musical background and your acting and your things of that nature you know it's just like people bring all of this other stuff to it that yeah you know I'm I'm often surprised that more people aren't that we don't see more of it in Mm -hmm. magic you know you think I love talking to magic I love talking to creative people about process and and you know why they do what they do and i didn't know if you cream and sugar no is that no black is great okay perfect okay sorry um yes perfect thanks um but i love talking with other performers and artistic people about the process and in magic i'll hear i'll I'll have a long conversation with someone and and i I find out that they have all these interests and hobbies and they'll see a performance and i see you see none of it Mm -hmm. you think well why don't if you're if you're totally into cooking that's really your another passion. Why aren't you, you know, making us an omelet while you're performing, or why aren't we seeing some aspect of that? Sure. And so often you do. I don't know why. You know, I, maybe it's it's it's. I guess I have thought about it. And I think some people are there's there's fear is a part of you know really facing, embracing things that we're interested in, and you know that that can be something that holds holds people back sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's easier just to do the script that you that come with, you know, that comes with the trick or some variation, therefore, of that. Um, So, you know, I. On on the other hand, I mean, for me, I, I, I love it. That's it. I'll see something about in my in my world that I want to write about. You know, there'll be like, okay, I'm feeling regret about something, like, and that's been building up. So I want to write a piece about regret and then at some point I hope there's going to be a piece of material from in magic that an effect that I can tie the idea of regret to and those two things will that'll be my that'll be the piece yeah and um, I try to do that with everything you know with every with every piece I like I'm like well first of all what is it I want to say and what magic effects are blown up, do I think are interesting and, and cool and yeah. you know do I want to see and mystify me the first time I saw them you know that's the other thing I think you know that as magicians like you go oh well I can't do a rising card or clippo or something that's you know, we've seen a million times but mm-hmm. you really can you know I think if you're performing for lay audiences or you've got a captivating story it doesn't matter you know mm-hmm. but instead we see the invisible deck again and again <laughs> With some interesting takes, but sure. mostly not. I think that can be said for for most things. I think that's you're speaking to a a very universal truth. Yeah, and the same as in rock, you'd like with all the ideas, all the different ways to present yourself as a as a band. You kind of you hear this this model that's been somehow works, and it's not necessarily a good model, but it's what it's it's how it it's how we see the word. design is the perfect mm-hmm. example. Like I was looking at crummy billboards for for films, sure. Hollywood movies are perfect. Even a better example of this, the, this monstrous, you know, 
overproduced, overbaked idea that somebody, you know, that, that there's too many cooks in the kitchen and yeah. end up with this mess. And we see it again and again and again, and it won't be changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But I'm not into that. <laughs> That's a good thing. I'm trying not. I mean, so I guess it, it's funny though. In acting, sometimes you have no control. Like, if if you if you act in a Hollywood movie or a TV show, you have no control over who the other actors are. Mm-hmm. You don't know what kind of music they're going to put between your your you know your vacant stare or your you know when you're walking down the street or whatever. And the, you you can't choose the font of the credits. Mm-hmm. I want to. It would be nice. Yeah. And then, you know, it's inspired me to make my own TV show, which is doing. But my goodness, I mean, it's like, it's different. So, so, so the magic act, back to going back to the magic act, you can do everything in that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And you get to dress yourself and you can, and, and, you know, script and all those, all those things that are so fun. And I think in magic more than in many other creative pursuits is that the audience is readily giving you the green light to do whatever you're going to do, dress however you're going to dress, maybe to negative effect for magic as a whole. But, you know, people come to you and you go, oh, you're the magician. I'm going to accept anything you say, do anything you tell me to do. Get up on this chair. Okay, I'm standing on the chair. What now? Mm-hmm. They just do it because you're yeah. a magician. Right. And it's the same kind of thing. You, you're given so much um, freedom Mm-hmm. To create yourself. No, it's absolutely it's, yeah. it's absolutely true. Totally true. And that must be very a- appealing to the true artist like yourself. Well, <laughs> I guess I mean I I, th- I look forward to a a long hopefully a long career in magic. I think in music, at least in in a rock format that I was doing it. It doesn't age as well, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, you can be a photographer and, and or a designer or an actor, and you can age gracefully. Th- th- hopefully, yeah. I mean, you know, most most do, um, many do, I should say. But <laughs> I think it's 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 a lo- it's a lot more forgiving than than in in music where I don't know. It's it's almost it's it seems to be when I the, most of the music that I like is geared towards the way that I felt when I was ten or thirteen, mm-hmm. you know. Nostalgic, yeah, nostalgic, you know. So, but magic, I feel like there's, I have a world of, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of ideas I'll never get to in magic. I realize that, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and meanwhile, I'll keep doing my performances and try to keep up with the way that I'm feeling inside and sort of keep challenging myself as, as I get these ideas to put new pieces in and take out new pieces and creating set lists is I just love that's one of the major uh, uh, something I really enjoy doing is sitting down and putting together a set you know um, whether it's a half an hour thing or a 45 minute thing and see how that all goes and run through it and then put it up in front of an audience and see how it really goes because in your mind sure. you know it's you, you can sort of bullet point how this is all going to look but as you know the audience ultimately tells you what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. yeah. okay so <laughs> based on audience interaction pretty much you know most of your life how how self-aware are you as far as like your appearance and your, your communication like how much of your behavior is cultivated over those years like the way that you blinked at me just now was like an elongated blink that uh-huh. was like, I loved it. I don't know why, but it just yeah. like it was really nice. So yeah, I see. It's just yeah. Well, I mean, really, the, I think truthfully, the the idea is to get so far out of your head mm-hmm. that you're as close to an outer body experience as you can have. Because mm-hmm. that's who feels good. Me, when I can do that, yeah. I'm I'm a high. Mm-hmm. That's. That's in a, a level of elation that I want to get to every single time I perform. Mm-hmm. And how I get there is through so much preparation mm-hmm. of the other, the other side of that is making sure that I'm groomed properly, that I can feel, you know, my hair looks, you know, it's not, I don't look like a crazy substitute teacher. Sure. 
and that you know my bow tie straight or whatever mm-hmm. and that all my props are where they need to be and that my script is in order and I might you know there might be moments where I step away from the script to improvise but all those things happen can only happen when I'm completely prepared mm-hmm. and then you have that um, confidence and then I'm ready and there's a there's an acting my my first acting coach who is actually is actually a good one of my dear friends who married my wife and I was a great poet his name is S.A. Griffin and at the beginning of his acting class he used to say uh, concentration of energy away from yourself is the source of all creativity and holy smokes if that didn't make sense nothing did because you would realize you know in magic it's all about the staring deeply into the props and the mm-hmm. scissors and looking into that other person and having those experiences and as it is in acting you know you can we can watch a TV show or a movie and turn the sound down and if someone's not doing their job as an actor you have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. and you go the words are coming out and they're saying things and they look pretty or whatever or interesting but there's no you know, they're not communicating yeah they're not communicating mm-hmm. so for me the whole thing is you know art is c- communication it's as simple as that it break, that's the breakdown for me so I just think to myself well how do I take all these ideas that I'm you know they're constantly sort of that, that comprise the act mm-hmm. and then when the moment it's your turn to walk out there you want to be able to bang on all eight cylinders and just be completely present mm-hmm. and be ready to go. But um, I would say I'm very conscious of, of of things like we talked a little bit earlier about tempo and rhythm and like the the, the world that I try to go into when I'm working is slowed down than mm-hmm. the rest of the fast paced world that everyone's used to seeing, especially in a magic show. So you're you know you're at this. You're at the big magic show, and all of a sudden everything's like this, and boom, bam, boom, and yeah. confetti, and oh boy, and here's one about the old internet, and let's talk about tweets, and you know, things that I kind of just, I'm not interested in seeing when I'm on stage, and I don't want to be reminded of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I try to, you know, the world that I'm coming from is so different than that. And when I walk on stage, I the first thing I do is I I, get, I, may, I look at that audience and I think, all of you people are totally out of your minds. I'm the same one. You're all crazy. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that it's pretty much they're seeing the opposite of that. Of course. You know. But for me, that's, that's, how, that's how I get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's, how, and that's how things really start to work. Because in real life, I mean, I don't know. I'm... I'm I think I'm pretty. It, things are pretty straightforward. I make a living at what I do. I love mm-hmm. magic. I love being an entertainer. But I go to the bank and I have three dogs and I do my laundry and yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the character that I portrayed doesn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. For the listeners that may not have seen you, do you want to describe your character a little bit just to give them some background on what we're talking? Yeah, about? I mean, I would say that he he. It's it's the Herman Munster effect. And if you ever seen the Munsters, it's it's the TV show where. You know, these house of ghouls uh, have all these great personalities and they're very eccentric and that they look and sort of act. And they see the normal world, as it were, in a Norman Rockwell 50s, 60s sort of way, mm-hmm. as, as totally bizarre and crazy. So what's normal to me is I see you guys as just as completely nuts. So, so the most average looking, you know, blonde 25-year-old woman that I bring on stage is a creature from outer space. And I look at her like, oh, I'm so sorry that you have to look like this in this world. And oh God, I'm, let's just let me just get you through this piece here. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, she's looking at me like, what's what what's going on here? This guy is looks like he could be a serial killer or mm-hmm. something like that. And um, <clears throat> I guess there's aspects about physically the way I look. And I, um, you you have like um, uh, I'm trying I'm trying to. You're very handsome. You have like a piercing gaze, but you're also like not you. You're not like a regular looking person. I don't. I I had the words earlier, but it's like a really like attractive um, well, otherness. Well, thanks. I, like I I, I, I I mean, thanks. That's that's genetics, I guess. I am, and and yeah. Where do where, where where does that come from? Uh, where are your parents uh, from? Pollock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love saying that recent recently. I've been, I've been loving 
I love answering that question with I'm a Polak because when I was a kid growing up in Burbank, my God, Polak jokes were just everywhere. <laughs> they're not cool to be Polish because Polaks are stupid. And uh, so my dad told me we were Czechoslovakian. I was from Czechoslovakia, wherever that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever, wherever, whatever blip on the map that could have been when I was a little kid. I'm like, okay, if you say so. Uh, and then you're just European, Scottish, yeah, sure, English, sure. you know, like it's like most of us, mm-hmm. hybrid and mud. But I'm mostly Polish, you know. Okay. And uh, and now I'm totally embracing the Polak thing. I'm like, yes, I'm a I'm a freaking Polak. It's a Brecht. You can curse, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah that's fine. well, I'm freak. I'm a freaking Polak. <laughs> um, so anyway, but but that's you know I, I realized that when I was getting into magic, that that was a tool that was going to work mm-hmm. for me and not against me. Like I I. I wanted to use the sort of gaunt, maybe visage that people see, and this, you know, the ability that I have to not—I'm not afraid to break eye contact with mm-hmm. people—and to use that as a as a force of as something to advance the show and make it more interesting than to, yeah. you know, just use it as a throwaway thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm all seeing that with magicians. I think God, there's so many great things here. All the all the elements I like about this person are the things that I don't see when they're on stage. Yeah. It's it's again it's it's baffling. Sometimes. And it's well, I I'm constantly thinking about how magic relates to other performance art, whether that be music or comedy or um, interpretive dance or things like that. And it all just sort of you know mixes together. But yeah, Bill Hicks always or he would say, "Less jokes, more me." And I think that that should be, you know, how magicians are. And that kind of speaks to the inner weirdness that you. Yeah, I I just say embrace your inner weirdo and you know by that I mean if like I think I mentioned cooking earlier as an example Mm -hmm. because some people think that's really weird and they'd see like they they might see a a, a normal you know let's just say an average looking person come on stage and for them to say you know I love the culinary arts and here's (laughs) in their own way and Mm -hmm. sort of deliver a I don't know a a version of triumph or a, a, a a metamorphosis or something mm-hmm. like to, to find a way to sort of tell us a story through that and it doesn't by story that that that's a blanket statement i the, sure for me i want mm-hmm. the second the guy says when i was 10 years old and it was snowing in minnesota and my grandfather i just want to run i want to <laughs> take my life and get the hell out of wherever i'm at i want yeah. my life back yeah that's it <laughs> and i want to quit magic um you know David Copperfield that has that thing, and, and we and you see that, and this is this is the um, this is the moment where I'm going to pull your heartstrings. That's the moment where I want to just die, tap out. I, I'm yeah, done. I'd rather yeah. just be dead right now. I'm not kidding. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> see, I derailed into like a, a negative creep. Um, oh, but yeah, but telling your but but oh, but yeah. finding a way to so so. You know, finding those things that are interesting about yourself and putting them on paper and looking at them and then going, okay, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to communicate to my audiences through this idea of, you know, these things that I'm passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, man. I got so pulled out of it by the air conditioner. Yeah. Can you turn it off? I don't know. Let me try. Set it to 86. Oh, good. I'll put it back later. Yeah, just finding, you know, what's... Everybody's different, and unfortunately, most magicians are the same. (laughs) And it's, you know, people aren't taking that into effect. That's one of the reasons I don't, you know, pursue performing anymore, is because I was aware enough to realize... I'm not adding anything to this about myself. And so, you know, rather than maybe go in the direction that you went where you created a show and an act that, you know, speaks for yourself, I'm much more of like an impromptu, I'll do a trick thing, but I'm going to be me this whole time, an elevated version of me, and it's a different kind of performance, and then I'll do a trick for you and that kind of thing. But it's... um, Which is great. Which is... I mean, that's the... There's nothing... There's certainly... 
there's everything's right about what you just said. Magic is a very it's a it's 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 a huge sort of art form, and mm-hmm. there's many ways. If someone's just doing a, a casual card trick that that can be so wonderful. Sure, vanishing a, a, a silk in a in a, in a thumb tip that can be the most astonishing thing. It's a different frame for the act. My act yeah. is like just having this experience with you, and then there's a magic trick in there. Right. Whereas your act is like a like a polished, beautiful. It's a, wor- it's a world. Of... It's, it's exactly. It's come yeah. into this world, disappear. Hopefully, lose yourself. Forget about your troubles for mm-hmm. twenty minutes or an hour, and get out of there, and maybe think about it and see if you, you know, maybe it'd be inspiring or 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 I don't know. I don't know what you know. I try not to gauge too much about how people. walk away from my show and feel too much I do want them to feel something but mm-hmm. I, I don't want to you know I think it's so, so art is, is so subjective and, and mm-hmm. it, it's different things to different people and I love it when someone's touched by something that I did that is really small mm-hmm. you know and not some of the things are, are completely kind of over the top and for very you know as magic effects have their big the ta-da moments of course you, you know you have to do everything you can to make those work but when there's a subtle thing and somebody can get something from that, to me, I just feel like I've done my job mm-hmm. and everything's okay with the world. When that goes back to, you know, first assessing every detail and then being confident enough to improvise. Because that's yeah. where that kind of golden yeah. magic happens. Yes. Yes. Correct. <laughs> I loved your act so much. And the the person that we brought mm-hmm. has like a huge crush on you. Oh, the, oh, the, the young lady, of <laughs> yeah. course. Oh, she is. Yeah, she's a, so she was our hairdresser. Mm. And we were like, oh, we're going to see like the best magic show. Oh my god! And she, you were her first magic show, so she's totally spoiled now. Wow, <laughs> so nice to hear. But well, she, that's an honor. Yeah, she absolutely loved wow. it. Wow, as a lay person, and I, yeah. and we absolutely loved it as magicians. Well, I got, you know, I, I think I mentioned this, but it, that's a very hard room to perform in, mm-hmm. and not my, you know, it's no not much different than the space that we're in here. It's just not usually. I'm, I I feel more confident going on stage with a, you know, uh, especially doing my that's that's more of a parlory stand up stage act on mm-hmm. the, the Palace of Mystery. The Magic Castle is like the perfect framing for that. Absolutely, not not to discredit. The Red Spade Theater, because I'm a huge fan of it. I think what Sebastian's doing is great, and he's supporting magic in, mm-hmm. in a great way. But um, it's not the ideal you for know, your world. For my world, yeah. Sure. Again, the, you know, I've been, I've been at this point. I've been all over the world. I have performed in nightclubs in Japan and Australia and Italy and uh, Scotland, London. How New well York. does your act translate to those other senses of humor? Those other perspectives. Well. Yes, very well. Yeah, I would say um, the the English, you know, the, 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 there's a sense of humor that I think that there's a, maybe a dryness that I, I naturally kind of want to engage the audience with, mm-hmm. and they they like that. That's that's effective for them. Um, same with I, I would say the Australians. Same, it's kind of same same thing. Did a week of shows over there over the summer. It was just wonderful, and yeah, I was just surprised how much I, I received a lot of feedback and 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 uh, there were a lot of discussions about the sense of humor and the beats between you know like the um, what do I, I call them the, um, the kind of the interstitial pieces mm-hmm. you know because you know I break down my act on on paper there's a there's a a routine that's mm-hmm. you know let's call it card trick sure. and then there's an interstitial piece where I'll do a joke or a gag mm-hmm. and there's another magic trick and another gag or interstitial piece or whatever and that's how I build the act because by by the end of it you know hopefully they're they're going they remember all these funny moments and and uh, and the magic as well but you hear that over and over you know like mm-hmm. you want the audience to remember them remember you as much as the magic effects of course you know my my favorite personally moment from your show and I don't want to burn the the joke but you know, we were like, it would. I would fail you tonight if I didn't show you this, and then you. Oh yes, of course, the photo of Barbara Streisand. Oh, the that's photo not, of Barbara Streisand. Of course, 
Well, that's... That, it, that timing associated with that lit me on fire on the inside. Oh, it was so, so perfect. Thank you. <laughs> and it was so like, not only was it odd, but it was like the ultimate non sequitur. It's like, why do you have a picture of Barbara Streisand in this strange, you know, outfit from yesteryear? Yeah. <laughs> to then show us in this moment, like, how does that fit into your... It's just, it, it opens up so many questions, as well as being a hilarious joke yeah. for your character. Well, it's, it's the funny thing about that picture is it's my biggest prop. You know, and I'm mm-hmm. loading all my stuff through the airport, and I'm walking through with my big barber's... St- no, I'm actually... It folds up. Um, but it is, it's, it's my largest prop, and has been, and I hope it remains that way, you know. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, that's a note that I wanted the show to have for a long time. Um, early on, you know, like the, the that left turn that just hits a, that sudden dead end. And when it, people catch on to that as being, going, knowing that that's sort of the tone and that the show's going to have those sort of dead ends. And they accept that and they think that's funny. I go, all right, good, this is, this is probably going to go okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've done performances where they look at it and you hear, and... You know, and the whole audience is waiting for like, what's wrong with this guy? There's not, you know. Yeah. And those are not as fun. Sure. <laughs> well, they're actually fun on such a different level. Like, oh, this is going. This is so terrible that I'm going to just see how terrible I can make this. It's, yeah, and then it becomes like another room to play in as yeah. far as your character yes. is concerned. Yeah. He's just like these weirdos don't understand. Yeah. You know, like... I mean, believe it or not, I I did fism. I was I performed at fism over the summer. And uh, the next day, I was getting—I was at the hotel and I was getting breakfast. And uh, a very, uh, I would say, famous magician came up to me and, in confidence said, "You know, um, you can take dance lessons. There's there's people that can show you really how to because you've got something." But and I thought, "Oh wow, okay." And I'm like, oh yeah, can I get their number? You know, <laughs> there is a dance. Do you have someone in mind? Yeah, exactly. Like a waltz, like you know. And you're like, all right. So this really, I really missed some mark. They or they interpreted that so mm-hmm. differently. It, when I worked so hard to hide the one, you know, and hide the fact that I can dance like most people can. Yeah, of course. Keep a beat. Yeah. Um, that I'm not. That I was trying to invert whatever that the one and the. The, you know, the two and the four landed. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to hide those and zip around them. I thought, wow, man, people really get different things from, from your act. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's... Oh, man, I was just talking about this with somebody, but it's the idea... I think it was actually um, John Vanderpoop, Fifth the Magic Dragon. Oh, yeah, I was talking course. to him about how people, magicians, come up and they like try to give you advice on your act. And they have, like, you know, they're so out of the I'm going to enjoy this performance thing that they're not even picking up on what it's what's supposed to be happening in the context of the show. And it's like, oh, I'm watching from your fingers. And it's like, you're missing the point. Yeah. And so that kind of stuff is so hilarious to me. It's the it's greatest. It's like, you yeah. completely missed it. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's a, I mean, that's it. Especially here in Hollywood, every, every person has a gold pin mm-hmm. on their lapel or purse or dress feels like they're qualified to tell you what's wrong with the act and how it can be better and I would say 80% 90% of that that information has been completely unuseful (laughs) and in my own way just like this is funny (laughs) and then you know you you, you, okay what are they doing that they feel like you know they can give me this if I want to see what and you know, yeah. what, and then sitting in the in the audience watching those acts, you just think, "Oh, this is just." I, there's <laughs> not, we're not not even on the same level. Yeah, we're yeah. on such different. We're coming from such different places that yeah. I think I'll you know. Yeah. Why does this person feel that they're qualified to tell me about my character? Yeah. That is a totally different shade of. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny stuff. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, so we've we've done almost an hour, and I oh, want to wow. keep going wow. if you have time. Yeah, I gotta I gotta be over at the um, at the magic club at twelve thirty. Okay, it's twelve now. 
Oh, great. You had another 15 minutes. Okay. Is that sure. cool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. Let me just take a look here. Um, we can talk about... Do, are you allowed to talk about your show? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit? I'd love well, to. Yeah. Plug yeah. it away. I, would, I yeah. would love to talk about it. I would love to hear about it. Uh, and this this won't come out until probably mid-January. That's so fine. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm more eager to talk about... It's, it, it, for me, it's one of these things that at this point... When I talk about it, I I'm I know I'm going to visual I'm going to see mm-hmm. it helps me see the finish line with things. Sometimes when I yeah, yeah, yeah. when I get things sort of out there, mm-hmm. um, and I can talk and I talk about them in terms that I don't feel like you know like I won't tell you the title of the show or yeah, anything. Yeah, sure, okay. um, but I think around four years ago, I was doing. Let's see. Let me let me go back a bit. Um, I'd say ten years ago, I was performing at the Magic Castle, and John Lovick pulled me aside after one of my shows when I said, "Hey, why aren't you acting? Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're doing these shows here, and I think you could you could put this on the on the screen." And I had never thought about it. Mm-hmm. And for the first seven or eight or ten years I was in Magic, my only goal was to be on stage and perform for groups of people. I wanted it to be an ephemeral thing. Mm-hmm. People came in and they saw this thing, and it wasn't taped, and it wasn't going. I mean, YouTube wasn't what it is now, but sure. it wasn't that. It wasn't for that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about that. It yeah. wasn't about being famous or yeah. having recognition or live performance, hits. performing was, in the shady nightclub. And, yeah, yeah, it was performing in the basement of the Magic Castle. Yeah. To me, good, done, yeah. check, artistic, you know, license. People are seeing this thing it's working mm-hmm. fine so fast forward to I thought you know what I'm going to give this a shot. I'll give it a shot why mm-hmm. not John's usually right about things and, and my wife was super encouraging and I jumped into community theater and kind of learned how to tell a story on stage mm-hmm. after a few years and you know just did it the hard way like everybody else does and, and mm-hmm. enjoyed the process and through all that uh the internet is changing and the world is changing and suddenly I realized that I could reach a larger audience by having a program where this character lives. Mm-hmm. You know, this this world is... It would be a great challenge to, to take this world that we worked so hard to... that works in nightclubs and theaters to put him on the... I call him in the box because mm-hmm. I don't know what it is yet. We don't know whether it's going to be a, a network television show or uh-huh. it's going to be a webisode series sure. we don't know that yet so it's the box mm-hmm. and all of a sudden all these ideas started coming to my wife and I who to my mm-hmm. co-creator and, and we have a couple uh, friends in show business that are that were pushing us along in the right way mm-hmm. and um, being very very encouraging and uh, a few months back we we procured some funding to make this pilot episode of our show. Mm-hmm. And the show's either going to be a one twenty-two minute pilot or broken down into three um, webisode series, which sure. will have like a beginning, middle, and end. Like so many TV shows have in their own way. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, the way that a, a show breaks down before a commercial break is a cliffhanger. And then another in between. Cl- and then, yeah. yeah. And so that's essentially what we're doing. And we're having the times of our lives doing this. It's it is the greatest fun I've ever had. Oh wow! Um, and it's it's great fun because we have there's no one telling us that we can't do mm-hmm. what we want to do. Yeah. Um, my wife has she has excellent excellent taste. She knows the, the character better than I do, and so we're creating this world where he lives and what's happening around him, and it's just a complete blast. Um, we've shot four days, and uh, so far, all the you know the, the people that we've asked to sort of be involved, um, mm. everyone said yes. Wow. We have a uh, we have cameo spots for Dan and Dave. <laughs> they don't know it yet. If you're listening, we'll be calling you. Um, and it's just super exciting. So now mm-hmm. the, the next challenge is knowing that I can perform this character live on stage and be a popular performer at the Magic Castle and at Magic Conventions and sure. do these sort of small theaters worldwide, I want to I want to see what that looks like, mm-hmm. you know. And um, working with musicians that I respect 
to to do soundtrack and an editor that I think is wonderful and just getting the general sense of what we're doing. It feels to me like when I was 15 going, wow, I'm going to start a band. How is that going to work? Mm-hmm. And it's really, it feels, it's, 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 it's making me inspired every day just to get up and get out of bed because I know that like that's the next thing that I want to see happen. Wow. That's so exciting. Uh, I, man, I'm, I'm excited about it and Thank I don't you. really even know a lot about it or anything about it, but <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of those things where, you know, I could talk more about it, but the the point is sure, of course. You know, yeah, as, yeah, as Francis Bacon, the great artist Francis Bacon, always said, that the artist's job is to always deepen the mystery, mm-hmm. deepen the mystery. And so, it's one of those things where I just want to say, okay, world, here it is. Yeah, make you know, of it what you will. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be able to continue this. The, the way that we're working on it is great. And I, I, there was a a couple years ago, I pitched the idea to a a. a a television network and my god they looked at me like I had two heads <laughs> and at the end of it I felt awful and I'm sure there's no way that they felt good about it sure um, this is like a big presentation slideshow of all these you know scenes and ideas and vignettes that we had to sort of illustrate this and I just went this is clearly not the way to do this this mm-hmm. has to be a DIY mm-hmm. punk and when I, like when I talk about punk earlier, I, I mean doing things with your own vision in Absolutely. your own way, single-minded. I don't care what anyone else thinks. This is how I'm going to do this. That is punk to me. It's yeah. not wearing a mohawk and getting a spike bracelet and walking on Hollywood Boulevard. Not that kind of punk. So it's the the punk ethos that is gonna is really driving the show. And it's it's a uh, I think by by May or 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 June we ought to have something that's um, you know viewable at least to us and then we'll see if we can mm-hmm. the idea is that it's complete and we take it we find a, a place for it where they're not gonna they're gonna say yes we see this world mm-hmm. in that we saw like you can see Elvira's world or Pee Wee Herman's sure. world it's its own thing yeah. and you, I guess I'm sure networks have tried to mess with that with you know that model or their model but uh, in our case we, we want it just to feel so solid that it'll it'll just They'll give us a home and let us continue to work on it. Yeah, because I, you know, I, in in some ways, I've been a little bit burned out about um, traveling. I'd like to stay here and work. If I could, if I could have my way with with the world and and win the game of life, I think I would stay in LA for the most part, mm-hmm. travel a few times a year, really work on the show, and have have it be as magical and get, feel the same elation that I feel when I'm performing on stage, and you know. Without having to go to the LAX <laughs> twice a week. Oh man! Well, thank you so much. I would love to do this again because I'd love to talk about Tommy. I'd love to talk about the characters some more and really get into it. Man, so easy and great. I'd, yeah. be, I'd be totally honored. Okay, cool. Do a follow up or something. Yeah, down down the road, closer to maybe showtime. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe in March or April. Would okay, be, would be really cool. Yeah, or when it's done, maybe when it's done. Oh, cool. that'd be cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Then you could see it and we could talk about it. Oh, that, I would love Before that. Before and after. It's got to be after, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great, man. Well, awesome. I must say, you're a great interviewer. Really, oh, thank really you nice. so much. Really, I really appreciate it. Really, come, I felt very comfortable. And, I'm really glad. Um, who else do you have coming up, did you say? Um, or are you still working on? So, we have... Um, I just recorded with Piff the Magic Dragon. Uh, we'll How was, he, that? was it that? It was nice? oh, it was a great time. Yeah. Mr. Piffle shit on the floor during the interview. And was he up. now? How did he get along with Hilton? Oh, he wasn't here. I, I went to. He was in San Diego uh, performing, and so I went to his hotel. And gotcha. It was oh, a lot cool. of fun. So Mr. Piffles isn't isn't hotel trained. No. <laughs> well, and it's hard because he's performing at the comedy club, and people are feeding him food. Oh yeah, <laughs> not his choice. Yeah, he's like. But uh, that was it. Was fun. He's very funny. Um, he has like a, a succinctly British humor, which I am in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just a ton of fun. And it's, you can kind of, I'd be interested to hear uh, when it goes live for people to listen to it and kind of hear him open up. Because it was like, he's a very introverted person. And so like, you know, he got more comfortable with me as we went along. And it, it was a lot more fun and up near the I, end of the thing. I agree. I would love to hear that. I've never, I've never seen an interview with him. Uh, my friends are out on tour with them right now. Um, they're they're a, a magic act called Conjure from Denver, 
Oh, wow. And uh, they're like doing production, and she's on stage with him, this girl called Cole. So uh, yeah, it's great. I'm so, I'm so happy for his success. Oh, me too. Yeah. He's it's he's one guy. of the maybe the only guy that's made it out of one of those crummy talent shows mm-hmm. and had it work for him in a way where he didn't win, but he's like kind of ruling the world. Oh yeah, you know, mm-hmm. doing the performing arts centers. That's like the dream of every performer because yeah. it pays well and you know for a lot of reasons. But uh, good for him. So you got Piff and who else? Um, Will Houston. Uh, oh, Will. Yeah. Oh, really? Did yeah, you already yeah. talk to him? I haven't talked to him yet. Um, we were, we were going to do it when he was in town. Oh, and that yeah. didn't work out. And so we're going to do a Skype interview uh, probably next week. Did you see him at the Magic Castle? No, I didn't get to. It was wonderful. I heard from He a is bunch great. Of he is so much fun. And he's an interesting guy to just to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, his whole, his metronome, he's slow too. But it's that dry British humor that, that, you know, gets you every time. Sure. You know. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much again. Yeah, for great. Me. My pleasure. I'm going to step in the restroom and then see if I can step on this for a second without breaking it. <laughs>